Well, we turn tonight to John's Gospel, chapter 10, and uh, we'll read, I think, verses 1 to 16. But before we do that, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege of worship, the sense of your presence amongst us. And I pray that what we continue to do now in reading your word and listening to some thoughts around it will not be a break in the worship, but part of our worship. And that we'll hear and what we explore together may lead us to deeper worship and to respond to your word in the way that you want us to. So we commit ourselves to you and pray that you would continue to make this a holy time and a holy place and speak, Lord, for we seek to listen in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read, uh, I say, I think, finishing at verse 16 of John's Gospel, chapter 10. So let's hear God's word together. Jesus is speaking. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter by the, the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Amen. I've long said that my favorite bit of the whole Bible is John's Gospel, chapter 10 through to chapter 17. And as I said this morning, if I had no other part of the Bible, I think I could survive with these eight chapters. Firstly, because they're the teaching of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and therefore everything that comes out of his mouth is authoritative for our understanding of God and for faith and for practice. 
But secondly, think of the sweep of the chapters that we're going to be looking at with some interruptions over the next number of months. Here, Jesus claims to be the good shepherd, and indeed, further on in the chapter, making very clear that he is indeed the Son of God. He demonstrates in these chapters his miraculous power to the extent he was able to raise Lazarus from the grave. The plot is laid to have Jesus done to death, and he's anointed in Bethany in preparation for his death. But when he arrives triumphantly in Jerusalem, people seem to recognize him as the promised Messiah of God, something he does not deny. And then in humility, he who should be served is the one who gives us an example of service as he washes the disciples' feet. He then makes stupendous claims to be the only way to God, the only way to heaven, and promises that when he is gone, he will send his Holy Spirit to be with his followers. Then he claims to be the true vine, to whom all believers are genuinely attached, and that only through that attachment, through that connection to the true vine, can we find relationship with God. And then he warns again of his impending death. And in chapter 17, prays a prayer for the unity of the church, that if churches and Christians were to take John 17 seriously, churches everywhere and Christians everywhere would be totally and utterly revolutionized. So I hope that you'll see from my decision to try and look at these chapters over the next number of months It's not just a personal indulgence, but it is, in a sense, the essence of my preaching over the last three decades in Orangefield. And with some interruptions, as I said, I hope you will really come with Gary and with me as we unpack these words of Jesus. Cast your minds back, if you can, uh, 2,000 years into first century Palestine. Uh, Sheep were tended as they had been for centuries. At nighttime, they were herded into either square or round-shaped pens, rock-built enclosures, a little bit like enclosures we might make in the morns with dry stone walls in the countryside that are so familiar to us. Sheep were in danger from predators, such as wolves, as Jesus mentions here, but also from rustlers. A man's wealth could be counted by the number of sheep that he owned. The more sheep the more money in the bank, so to speak. So many people sought to steal in order to add to their own wealth. The sheep pen had an opening often rather than a door. Uh, And frequently the shepherd would lie across the entrance. So if a thief or a predator wanted to get into the sheep, they would have to climb over the shepherd to get rid of, uh, to, to do that or get rid of the shepherd altogether. Corruption and thievery were rife, and hired hands had little care for the sheep and would often run at the first sign of danger. And in that context, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I'm not like the hired hands who do not care for the flock. I'm certainly not like a thief who has come to exploit the flock, but I am the good shepherd who really cares and This is the Jesus, the God whom we worship. Let's look briefly at some of these things that we can learn from uh, this chapter 10. We can't read the whole chapter 42 verses. We're just 
dealing with this one chapter tonight, so you might find it useful to have your own Bible in front of you or the one from the seat in front of you, but things will come up on screen. But here's the first thing. The shepherd's voice is familiar, verses 4 and 5. Let me read those again. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. I've told you many times uh, that uh, an old friend of mine became a shepherdess uh, in England. I haven't had contact with her for a long time, but I know that she could go to uh, the the gate in in a field and she'd call individual sheep by name and they would come running to her. Uh, and Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I go in front of my sheep and I call them and they know my voice and so they follow me. They come on after me. Relationship breeds familiarity. Whenever I get a phone call and I have a little voice that comes to the end of the line, hello, is that you, granddad? I know it's one of the Scottish grandchildren from Glasgow. Uh, and uh, if uh, the other uh, time a phone goes and there's little English sounding voice that say, hello, is that you granddad? It's my granddaughter from Bournemouth. Glasgow and Bournemouth have created two very different kinds of accents. And you know yourself that when you answer the phone, there are many voices that you just know exactly who it is right there and then as soon as you hear their voice. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and if you know me, my voice is familiar to you. If you know me, then you will recognize my voice. How do we recognize the voice of Jesus? It can be through reading Scripture, perhaps even through a sermon, or maybe when we seek advice from a Christian friend, or in other ways we recognize the voice of the Good Shepherd. But we're not to follow the voice of strangers, but learn to listen to that familiar voice of the Good Shepherd. Again, you've heard me say many times over the years that one of the benefits of the way that I was brought up was the discipline that was taught to me as a child for having daily quiet times, as they were called, when I was young. But times when I would read the Bible, times when I would pray, times when I would try and be still and listen to God's voice. Uh, And over the years, as we uh, grew and developed as children in the home I was brought up in, we We learned that rather than having to be taught to do these things, we could do them for ourselves. Uh, And I remember, well, bringing our own children up, and some of you may remember the old Scripture Union series, Simon and Sarah. I think it was Simon and Sarah, but there were little reading materials that you could start even with very young children and just read the Scriptures with them. I do wonder if we were to take a survey of how many of us have a quiet time every day, a time when we draw aside and read Scripture, maybe journal and write down some of our thinking, what we believe God is saying to us, time when we take to pray. I wonder, are we systematic when we pray? Do we pray for particular situations and people maybe at different times? Uh, And uh, we have in, in our home a kind of set days and certain days we pray for missionaries, certain days we pray for church, certain days for family. Uh, and, and many of us, we're all different. We structure things in different ways. But I can honestly say at 65 years of age, 
that one of the things that has kept me going as a Christian has been the discipline of a daily quiet time. I've not always done it in the way I should have done or given the time that I would like to have given. Indeed, I, I didn't always journal. I stopped journaling for years until, oh, maybe uh, about 2006, I think it was, greatly challenged by the late, great Jim uh, Graham, an old friend of ours in Orangefield, who just asked me point blank one time, Ken, are you journaling? And I said, no. And they encouraged me to start, and I did from that stage and have been doing since. The shepherd's voice is familiar. If we are not familiarizing ourselves with Scripture, if we're not praying, if we're not speaking with other Christians and sharing with other Christians and praying with other Christians, how can we hear the shepherd's voice? My sheep know my voice. They follow me, and I go on ahead of them, and they follow the shepherd's voice is familiar. It's a two-way relationship. Uh, and Jesus comes back to it later on in that chapter. Uh, if we were to read verse 27, he repeats, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And, and I, I love that. Jesus says he knows us. How can he know us out of six billion people? I don't know if you've been uh, looking at the David Attenborough series uh, recently on television. Uh, utterly astounding photography and amazing things that have made me praise God for the wonderful creation. But one of the things that came out was that uh, when looking at zebras, uh, my understanding is that all those stripes on zebras are as individual as our fingerprints. No two zebras are striped in the same way. When I look at a herd of zebras, they all look pretty much the same. But everyone is unique. And my understanding from those who have been shepherds in their, uh, in their daily lives tell me that every sheep's face is as unique as our fingerprints. And when I look at a field of sheep, I have to say they all look pretty much the same unless one's got black wool and others have got different, you know, shades of white. Jesus says, I know my sheep. Six billion people on the planet, he knows you and he knows me. He sees us for who we are as the unique individuals who may seem very similar to lots of other people, uh, white, Caucasian, whatever it might be, but Jesus says, I know my sheep. He knows us. He sees us as unique. He calls and we listen. He goes ahead of us and we follow. That's what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, how amazing it is to have a God who knows us and whose voice can be familiar. And secondly, tonight, I want us to just reflect a little bit on the fact that Jesus says he is the gate or the door. Verse 7 of John 10. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the shepherd. With Jesus at the door, nobody can get in who should not get in, and sheep who fancy straying cannot get out without the shepherd knowing all about us. It's a picture of protection. God with us, Emmanuel, as we remembered at Christmas, not just as a comforting presence, but as one who protects us from the wolves, the predators, and the thieves. Now, I know that bad things happen to good people. 
I know that part of the suffering of the world that we live in, in a mysterious way, is connected to the suffering of Jesus. And where we may ask legitimately at times is God and his protection when Christians are massacred or imprisoned or tortured for their faith, and I cannot and do not seek to give an answer to that tonight. But what I do want to do is to remind us of some of the words of Jesus. And, you know, I I don't have one of those red letter Bibles. I think it would be a great thing to have maybe in some ways uh, that, that we can look at all the words of Jesus as they're spoken in Scripture. But listen to these words in Matthew 10 and verses 28 and 29, and remember that this is Jesus speaking. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then he goes on to speak, or two sparrows not sold for a penny, and yet everyone is important to God. And it seems to me that when we think about bad things happening to good people, we need to remember that ultimately nobody in this world, no human power, no authority, no uh, force in this world can actually kill us eternally except God. And so, with all those bad things that happen to God's people, we are assured through Jesus that He is the Good Shepherd who protects our souls, who keeps us in His grasp for eternity and never lets us go, no matter what may happen that is bad and suffering and difficult. He is our protector ultimately in life. And later we'll see how Jesus brings enormous assurance to us. But he protects his sheep. And the third thing that strikes me here is that Jesus says that he brings salvation. Look at the first part of verse 9 and verse 11. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. There's a promise of Jesus. Promise that you have to take at face value because of the person who's saying it. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's why he came to earth. His mission was to bring salvation, forgiveness of sins, freedom from guilt and condemnation. And there's more to it even than that. Matthew, uh, or John 10, verses 28 and 29. Listen to these amazing words. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. What amazing words of Jesus to us. Is it any wonder that this is amongst my very favorite portions of Scripture? Think of the assurance that Jesus brings here. He says, eternal life is a gift. You cannot earn it. You cannot win it in the lottery of life. You cannot deserve it. It's a gift free, unmerited, lavish, sacrificially given, lovingly designed for us by the God of gods and the King of kings and the Lord of lords, eternal life is a gift. 
I know my sheep and I give them eternal life. And Jesus is also saying you cannot perish. Eternal life is our possession now, not at some stage in the future, but here and now and from here and now, even as our physical bodies wear out, we cannot perish. We will not perish. No matter what happens to us in the body, we cannot perish. And notice also that Jesus says, no thief can steal you. No one, he says, in verse 28, uh, can snatch them out of my hand. Now, here's the thing. Many of us use a word, an old-fashioned word, backsliding. We talk about someone who's backslidden. And I guess, like me, you, you know of people who once burned bright for Jesus, who once were in fire for the Lord, who served Jesus and did great things, and they have gone away from that. And that's a, a difficult one to understand. Uh, but I would have to say this. There are times when someone who seems to have been genuine may not really have been a Christian at all. just depends on how they heard was their faith a matter of duty, of relating to God, doing the right thing, or was it relationship? But I also have to say that backsliding is your conscious decision and mine. That when I sin, it's because I choose to sin. It's because I want to sin. It's not because I now live in sin. I don't live in sin anymore as a Christian, but I live in Christ and the Spirit of Jesus lives within me. So when I sin, it's not because I'm living in sin, but it's because I'm choosing to go back to the old life and to backslide, if you like. Backsliding is a conscious decision. And if it's a conscious decision to go away from God, we can make that conscious decision to come back. No thief can steal you. I could spend more time on this. You know, the Apostle Paul uses an analogy of a building that we need to be careful how we build on the foundation of salvation. He, he seems to indicate that we can choose to build with gold and silver and precious stones that in the fire of God's judgment, the dross will be burned away, but the building will stand. Or we can choose to build with wood and hay and stubble that in the fire of God's judgment, he says, will be burnt to the ground, but the foundation remains. Now, I don't understand all that. But Jesus is saying that when you belong to me, nobody can snatch you out of my hand, not even yourself. And the guarantor of that is God himself. Verse 30, I and the Father are one, said Jesus. I and the Father are one. So he brings salvation as a gift so that we may never perish, that nobody can steal us out of God's hand, and God is the guarantor. The next thing I think we want to learn, or I want to share, is that God provides, uh, verse 9 and the second part of that verse. Uh, we, the first part says, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. And then he says, he will come in and go out and find pasture. The good shepherd knows not just where to find pasture, but the best pasture. Sometimes we may not understand when God allows us to go through a desert place, or we may wonder when there is grass why God doesn't allow us to graze there. 
But you see, he truly knows us best and he promises that he will find us pasture. Can you trust him even when your bank balance is at zero? Can you trust him when your exam results come in or your job application comes in and the exam result is a fail and the job application is a no? Can you trust him whenever things go wrong, things that you'd hoped for are dashed? Know that this is the God who provides, who brings through pasture, not just to any old pasture, but the best, and he provides for us. And there's another thing that, there's so many things, we could have a hundred sermons, but I I promise I'll finish with uh, uh, this, uh, well, one, one more thing after this, very briefly. This cracks me up. There are other sheep. There's other sheep. Verse 16. I love this. I think it's an incredible verse that, you know, the early church had to learn the significance of what Jesus was saying here. The the early church had a a history steeped in Judaism. uh, And, you know, you and I might think it's very easy that that the Jews were brought up on a, a diet of understanding that God had called them to be his special people, not, not because they would have special privileges, uh, but that might have been part of it, but really more because God was saying, I'm calling you out as my special people so that you might be a light to the Gentiles. You might speak to others of me, that you might demonstrate my, my love and my justice and my character and my nature by the way you live. And, and, and that was what the Israelites were always called to do and to be witnesses to the God of gods and the King of kings. And verse 16, Jesus says this, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And you see, John hints that the disciples didn't really understand what Jesus was getting at. And here Jesus is saying, you know, my ministry and my salvation and all that I've come to bring is not just for Jewish people of my generation and time or of my generation or Jewish nation going down through the streams of history. My my ministry, my mission is for everybody. I must bring other sheep who will also listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And do we see that in what's happened with the church? Speaking to uh, uh, one of our members who's from South Korea uh, and was able to introduce her this morning to uh, a new member who's joining us also from South Korea. Uh, And uh, so they were able to speak in their native tongue. Uh, And isn't it lovely when we, we have that kind of ability to hook up with people of different nations. And we know that God has called the church to be a light to the nations. If this was what church was about, we might as well be a club. But actually we exist for the people who are not here. And we exist for the people who are not here who are not only Ulster people born and bred, but for all the people whom God is bringing to our shores from different nations and different nationalities 
Uh, if you go to the meeting point on the Lisburn Road, if you go to churches like Windsor Presbyterian who are being refreshed by Iraqi believers and Afghanistani believers and people from all parts of the world, it's an amazing, wonderful thing. Jesus says, I have other sheep who are not of this pen. Not necessarily white. Not necessarily Anglo-Saxon. Not necessarily Protestant. And I must bring them also. And it's a reminder to me that there's an enormous missionary impetus for the church in the words and in the teaching of Jesus that reminds us to say we are to be a people who don't just gather all our blessings for ourselves and stay in our comfortable houses, our churches, but they actually go out to bring those other sheep who are not of this pen so that they too might come to know the shepherd and to follow him. What a call to mission this is for us today. One flock, one shepherd, says Jesus, wherever and in whomever we recognize Jesus living, they are a brother and sister to us. And finally, very briefly there, Jesus divides opinion, uh, and he will always divide opinion. Verses 19, 21. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others say, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Jesus will always divide opinion. But for those of us who know him as the good shepherd, I guess, as we close tonight, there's a twofold challenge. And the first challenge has a number of things within it. I guess... The first challenge is this, how grateful are we for the gift of salvation and the assurance that Jesus gives us here? How grateful are we for what God has done for us? Do we thrill at all that God has done for us? How well are we listening to his voice? When's the last time you read the scriptures, apart from hearing them read in church? or took time to pray and thought about the areas you should pray about. It's the last time you came to God and confessed your sins and asked God the Spirit to fill you and make you more like Jesus and make you holy as he is holy. And I want to throw out a challenge to you because we have said that tomorrow evening we invite people to come and pray with us in session here in the church at 7 o'clock to 8 as we begin a process of looking beyond uh, the summer of this year when our current mission strategy uh, finishes in a sense. What about a, a vision where God is bringing us as his people? Are we going to be those who listen to the good shepherd and recognize his voice? The beginning of that process may be to come tomorrow night and just pray quite generally tomorrow night to thank God for what he has done for us and to begin to seek his face. What about taking one of the things of the vestibule table or the resource area about the Bible study that we've prepared, about 
taking part in that week of prayer and fasting, that it's a good Irish week because it's eight or nine days as opposed to seven days, but from the 29th of this month through to the 5th of February. What about taking that opportunity to fast? And we're saying that whilst there's a paper out there for you to read, and many of you received by email uh, that is from Rick Warren, and it's more about fasting from food, we also believe you can fast from activities like use of the internet or watching television or doing something of a hobby. Why not take time to really study that word of God and to pray and to say, Lord, where do you want this church to go in the next number of years? What is on your heart for us as your people? And come back to us on Monday the uh, 6th of February uh, with, with what you believe God has been saying. Because I think there's a a future to be grasped. Uh, and when I finish here, it's, you know, church will be here long after I'm gone. What kind of church is God calling you to be for the future? I think that's the first kind of challenge. The second challenge I want to put to you tonight as we close is this. Is there enough evidence that would stand up in a court to indicate that we are followers of Jesus? Not everyone will understand where we come from when we say we're followers of Jesus. Opinions were always clearly divided, but do others at least know that we do belong to Jesus? And are we living out our faith in a way that others can see Jesus in us? I had a lovely thing said about someone in the church recently at not say who it was or who said it, because I, I wouldn't want to embarrass them, but to me it was one of the most beautiful things said by anybody. And they said, oh, so-and-so from the church, whenever she comes, she brings peace. And whenever she goes, she leaves peace. I would have loved somebody to be able to say that about me. We have a great opportunity as God's people to live out the Christian faith in a way that people can see Jesus and his peace in us. Let's pray. Father, there's been so much in what we've been thinking about tonight. You who are the good shepherd who knows us more intimately than we know ourselves, would you help us tonight to go away from this place determined that we will seek to hear your voice more clearly? Perhaps some of us tonight need assurance Assurance that we really and truly belong to you. Assurance that we cannot be lost and that we can utterly, utterly depend upon you. And we remember those words of Jesus. I know my sheep and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. It may be that you need that assurance tonight. Why don't you just come to God in prayer and maybe to say sorry that 
You've gone through the busyness of life without making time and space for God. Maybe that need for deeper assurance. Or it may be that need to challenge. What evidence do people in work tomorrow have or in your neighborhood have that you belong to Jesus? And if you think that evidence isn't great, what about asking God what you're going to do about it? Just take a moment or two to pray. Oh God, I believe that the series in the mornings that we've begun in the glory of Christ and of his cross and this series that we've begun tonight in John's gospel are very significant for us as a people. I pray, Father, that you would do a new thing amongst us. I pray that all the thoughts and aspirations and hopes we may have for 2017 may be centered around one thing, that Christ may be exalted. I pray, Father, that you would break down in me and in all of us anything that is outside of Christ. I pray that you would give us such assurance of faith and such an assurance of your knowledge of us and love of us and desire to communicate with us and to speak to us that we would not doubt but seek to grow closer to you. And I truly believe that the closer we grow to you, we will grow closer to one another. And I pray that these next months will be amongst the most significant spiritually for us as individuals, but also for us as a congregation. And I pray that what you will do amongst us and in us may also be through us, that it may not be for my benefit or our benefit, but that we might be a people who will recognize that there are other sheep not of this pen, that you have said, Lord Jesus, you must also bring. And if you can use us as a church that will do that to reach out to others in the name of Jesus with the, the life and salvation and glory of Christ, then, Lord, shine through us and through this church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.